Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Sprite Extremely of Extreme Metal Podcasts. Crisp, solar, and refreshing as always. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. will have to push my time slot later tonight. I have to pick up my robes from the dry cleaner. (laughs) And uh, I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Jinko's in the pit. (laughs) <laughs> dangerous for everyone involved you got those huge ones that really cover your feet you're going to be slip sliding on that on the hard surfaces it's, uh, it's have you ever been yes have you ever been spin kicked with the jinko chains oh you know because it's the it's the whiplash effect <laughs> no no yeah, are, exactly, are people yeah. are people spin kicking in jinkos where you are um, not where I am. I just I've I've watched some of those. Um, you know, we've talked before about the increasingly whack hardcore scene mm-hmm. and just these really goofy shows they have. And like, uh, the, I don't know. Like, Hate Six is a good channel and like has done. I don't know. Uploaded a bunch of good shows, but like you just see increasingly bizarre stuff of just like very tame posy Zoomer shows with people dressed like new metal idiots. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, it's it's almost as though alongside the sort of resurrection of new metal musically, mm-hmm. uh, hot topic fashion circa two thousand two is yeah. coming back at the same time. It's we, like we <laughs> we said it couldn't be done, but they proved it. <laughs> you uh, never thought you never thought Jink, uh, you know, a bunch of Zoomers would be freaking out over trip pants and foamy the squirrel t shirts, but here we are. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's just totally bizarre. Yeah, I saw one where like the. Uh, it was just, you know, a sort of like very, very sparse, really goofy pit with like small zoomers and like, <laughs> and and like, uh, and and like the the vibe was like so, I don't know, you know, it 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 didn't seem like a hardcore show, but people were all like, you know, people were all two stepping and. And, and dancing and shit, and there was, like, almost no contact until they all just, like, dogpiled one guy and beat on him. <laughs> it, it was, like, it was, like, like, two, it was, like, maybe the two worst extremes of hardcore shows. It, it was, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting. The uh, I, I, I've always... I, I suppose it's all in go- I suppose it's all in good fun. But if my friends like all like started just punching my back in, I think I would elbow someone's face. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. It's uh, I I've been going to a fair number of hardcore shows recently, just out of sheer happenstance, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you and I have had plenty of conversations about it, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Man, I like the music, but the culture of that stuff is just never, yeah, <laughs> never yeah, like work. The, the band in this clip I was watching was good, right? It was just, the entire context was bizarre, right? The band sounded like, you know, it should be like Belgian powerlifters in 2001 or something, right? But it, <laughs> it was not that. <laughs> not at all it's uh it's a bunch of <laughs> it's a a bunch of 80 pound guys from you know uh, san bernardino or <laughs> you know who, who listen to a lot of turnstile but then they come out with something like that <laughs> i think turnstile really was what did like that marked a decisive downward turn that was like oh shit 
Oh yeah, no, I was. Uh, I remember. Turnstile seemed like a flash in the pan thing, but like, but it left a really lasting mark. It was like those bad pants are cool now. <laughs> I remember I had never actually heard Turnstile, and then you like made me listen to it, and I was just blown away. It's like this sounds like fucking Weezer. This isn't three eleven. Three eleven. Yeah, it sounds like three eleven. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. But All right, speaking, well, there's here's us complaining about things that none of our listeners care about anyway. Exactly. Welcome back, guys. It's actually a metal show, and not a hardcore show. Um, so you may be wondering after listening to that intro, wh- what in fact is the color of our energy? Well, the easiest way to find out is going to be by following me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. Then if you are especially ready to spin kick with the boys in the pit, the pit being a Discord server, you can gain access to that by subscribing to us on Patreon. $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime and Terminus After Dark bonus episodes, and $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server, uh, where we discuss what what has been the uh, the major topic of conversation lately it's actually been substantially substantially music related i usually chuck out whatever the big meme going on is but in this case we've we've been good we've mostly been uh intellectualizing about heavy metal so you'd you'd be very proud dad oh oh good kids i'll uh i uh, i haven't checked in for a few days so maybe maybe the lighter hand Helps. <laughs> well, you know, you got if they if they won't take the love from the Deathmo guy, they got to get the hate from the black. <laughs> <coughs> uh, so, uh, on to the actual episode. Uh, first up, I got a little mini review for you guys. Uh, this time, we're going to cover the debut full length by Noisy Neighbors titled Derailing the Hype Train, out on Grand Vomit Productions and independently through Bandcamp. Uh, Noisy Neighbors might sound a little bit familiar to some of you uh, because we actually played a Noisy Neighbors track on my interview with R from Numa Hagion uh, probably about two years ago. Noisy Neighbors is an affiliated band uh, featuring Shane, the uh, session drummer on the Numa Hagion records, uh, actually on guitar and vocals, uh, this being one of his uh, one of his central projects. Uh, so Noisy Neighbors is uh, a grindcore band from San Antonio, Texas, uh, that operates in equal realms, uh, D-beat and more death grind territory. Uh you're going to have songs that hover around the two-minute mark, um, uh, heavily riff-based, but with a, a solid core of sort of just atonal grinding energy. And uh, I brought this on not just because of the affiliation with uh, Numa Hagion and the affiliation, by extension, with The Howling Void, which we're going to cover after this, um, but because I think... This year, I want to concentrate on making these mini-reviews center around records that are just as good as anything on the main show, but are primarily just outstanding exercises in established styles. Uh, Noisy Neighbors isn't rewriting the book on Grindcore, nor do they have any desire to, but this immediately stands out as just a, a phenomenally good modern grind record, that I think deserves a lot more attention. Um, 
definitely the flavor of uh, modern napalm death just stripped down a little bit, removed of some of that sort of like holdover British weirdness they still maintain, or of uh, other Texan grind bands like uh, PLF would be a, a great example. Um, but uh, the Black Widow guy is actually going to be hearing this blind, which is weird. You're hearing it deaf, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So uh, just to get your feet under you, let's listen to a track called Sinking Lower. Uh, and you're going to be able to hear a lot of the defining features of this band, where uh, a lot of these are sort of archetypal riff forms but delivered with a lot of energy and usually given just enough twist from the more technical death metal aspect of the band to really stand out and, and give them a unique presence. Hey guys, Jason here with another tutorial, and today I'm going to be teaching how to grind. my my big intro monologue what do you think man that was a lot of riffs yeah um, a, there's a and, lot of riffs in these songs yeah um that's that, that's interesting because there, there's more de- development in that two minutes than like on the entire goat moon record not to give it away uh, um well no now they're gonna have to listen for that now they're like what, what does he mean what <laughs> that's such an edgy take black metal guy um but um this is uh yeah i mean I, I think one thing i liked is that it keeps the d beat momentum while chopping it up with those kind of Mm-hmm. Chopping it up with these kinds of more um, rhythmic, uh, convulsive fills mm-hmm. uh, that make it grind more. Um, 
Uh, and the other thing is that this has, like, such a fucking good bass sound, drum, like, bass drum sound. Oh, yeah, dude, right? that kick drum and, sound is like a nuke going off. And <laughs> it's like the kick drum is totally, like, tethered to the bass. The bass playing is also fantastic. And they hit, like, in exact sync, and it's just like, I don't know, like, that's, like, heavier for that kind of sound than I think I've ever heard. It's it's very satisfying, and instead of, and, like, it just, I don't know, like, that's heavy almost in the way that, like, almost, like, dubstep heavy, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's verging on sub-bass. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the production job here is really outstanding. And I think that's, um, I, I believe that's Shane's doing as well. That's, uh, this is coming out of his little studio setup, mm-hmm. Smoke Break Studios, which is where they also record the, uh, the Numa Hagee on the records. So mm-hmm, he's just, mm-hmm. he's got a great ear for how to produce extreme metal in a way that's like really audible and polished, but like really maintains the essence of the live energy. Yeah, it's like a, it, it's not really a, yeah, it, it, it's not like a clean sound. It's just very, very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, very I guess balanced. it's a bit like, I guess it's a bit like Rotten Sound, right? Rotten Sound has that nice kind of like washing machine sound to it where you get a lot of like, you want a little bit of the web in there. Yes, but this is a little less sort of chaotic washing machine and very clearly spaced. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, really one of the big things, a couple things I want to point out about that sample. Mm-hmm. Um, one, like you were saying, shit tons of riffs, and that is representative of the whole album. Um, like I said, these are all pretty much like minute and a half to two minute songs, and most of these have, you know, six plus riffs in them. Uh, but at no point does it ever feel spazzy. It actually feels remarkably confident and sort of laid back, uh, which is an interesting thing for a grindcore record to feel like. The non-spazziness, for sure. They they let each riff roll for as long as it needs to, except for riffs that they've designated as punctuation marks or breaths, right? Mm-hmm. And so they'll do like a one repeat or two repeat on a really simple sort of fill or change up. And there are lots of those, but the parts that rip or grind, they just let do that, which I think is important and separates it from something. You could have something that has same amount of riffs in same amount of time and sounds really spazzy. Yeah, Um, yeah. Or that is like doing shorter iterations of the riffs and repeating them more and shit, shit like that. They definitely have nothing to prove. Yeah, I'm guessing that these are... Uh, guys who have like a pretty extensive like death metal background and are just, or they're coming at this music from just like a higher level of technical skill and tightness than Mm -hmm. you're typically going to hear. Also that two step riff that the song wraps up with. Holy shit. We've heard a thousand different versions of that riff, but that's a really fucking good one, man. (laughs) Yes. And uh, yeah, that's the other thing. It's cross. It's, it's very DBD, but it's not sort of like, stuck in sort of i don't know like you know the the typical d beat crust grind song is three riffs in that time and uh doesn't really build towards anything and uh excludes certain riff riff types and rhythmic figures and this doesn't at all right this does a good job of the okay this is grind so it's everything and the kitchen sink right yeah, uh, the, that's that's actually kind of a, a good point you brought up, which is the 
the pacing of this music is kind of extraordinary. Um, mm-hmm. It's very coherent. It's very aggressive, but it it has real development. And every song has usually one or two big rhythmic figures that's that mark it as something unique and memorable within the album. It's a 17-track album done in 32 minutes, and basically every song has a riff or a rhythmic pattern that is going to stick out. Um, which is pretty difficult to do for a grindcore record in 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, so next up, we'll go to another song called Uninformed Assumption. And this one's a little bit more on the death metal side in terms of riffing. Uh, and here, uh, I just like how they play with a more traditional sort of grindcore song format. Mm-hmm. These guys have a really good instinct for keeping the listener off balance, you know, mm-hmm. uh, playing riffs a little bit too long or a little bit too short sort of frustrating the expectations. And I think on grindcore records, that's something to, I think that's something important to keep is a sort of animosity to the listener. It should be fun. Grindcore is sort of secretly party music in a lot of ways, but it should be a weird party like this one. So I, there's something about you, we've talked on the show and you brought it up specifically that there's like good D beat riffs and there's bad D beat riffs mm-hmm. and the difference tends to be really, really subtle. And it's about physical mm-hmm. playing a lot of the time. And I've started to appreciate that more, but I really appreciate the D beat riffs on this record because there's mm-hmm. something about it. I don't know if it's just the production or something about the playing, but it just feels like they have more tone color in them. It feels like there's sort of like meaningful melodic movement in them, which I don't get from a lot of D beat riffs. And I, I think that's really cool. And it kind of, it, it gives them more body. Like, I think like the first D beat riff on this one, the, the, just the sort of like, yeah, the sort of tritone thing that, that, that was pretty stock, but I think it's done well because of the tightness of the plane and because of the quality of the sound. Mm-hmm. Is that what you mean by tone color, like the production? The guitar tone literally makes it more satisfying? Well, I, was I mean, thinking... on the other track, I heard some, like, 
interesting riffy DBD things going on. Well, I was thinking more of the uh, the the DB section toward the end of this song where you've oh. got that big slide riff. That oh, let me back. You know, let, let me back up. I might have spaced out. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, that's a good DB riff. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of like a entire. Um, Uh, it's almost like a whole discharge song in one riff. <laughs> yeah, it, it it captures all the melodic peaks and valleys you would get it, from it, a full. It it, yeah. it turns the basic phrases into this yeah this like elongated. It turns the it, yeah it makes these like really basic two note phrases into a whole elongated melody, which is very cool. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, mm. Overall, like like I said at the front, it's... Uh, I, I might it, also venture that this sounds like Swedish death metal in a good way. Yeah, yeah, I Which agree. is a thing we almost never say, but this this sounds like the Sunlight Studio stuff in a way that is good. Yeah, it sounds like kind of the, the crustiest and most hardcore parts mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. you know, Grave and stuff like that, mm-hmm. just accelerated. Mm-hmm. Um, and this mm-hmm. also just... A lot of this reminds me of, like, structurally, like, formative grindcore stuff. You know, because I think it's it's weird to remember that grindcore and death metal basically developed in parallel with one mm-hmm. another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people have the tendency and, to think one came before the other. but And were really indistinguishable from one another while they were first emerging. <laughs> yeah. So, really, a lot of this harkens back to just, like, old Terrorizer and Repulsion mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stuff like that, where, which is still some of the best grindcore grindcore ever made because it wasn't too fixated on whether it had punk or metal allegiance um this is clearly a metallic grindcore record don't get me wrong but i appreciate the fact that it it taps into that original essence where it was a bit more freewheeling and exploratory mm-hmm. um so, like I said at the beginning of the show, even though it's a shorter review, I think this is like as good as anything we would cover on the main episode. And as far as straight-up grindcore mm-hmm. records go, um, I'm going to be hard-pressed to find something that I end up getting more joy out of than this one for 2023. Pay what you want on Bandcamp. Buy it. There you go. Hey, all This is Brandon from Cromlech, and you're listening to Terminus. And we are back with a, I think, a relatively surprise new Goat Moon record. At least I didn't know this was coming out. Um, this is What Once Was Shall Be Again on Werewolf Records. Title, perhaps a nod to Hades's Again Shall Be, but who knows, you know. It's just mm-hmm. phrases like that generate themselves in black metal. Um, <laughs> It's uh, that is the idea. That is that is the black metal idea. Um, uh, so going for a sort of a classic, uh, classic Ouroboros title, um, and also maybe signaling a return to uh, more core Goat Moon territory after the last couple records. Right, the last one which we didn't even know existed until we started reviewing this record was Silver Serpent, which was. Uh, well, you should you explain the or tell them what the metal archive says. <laughs> there's something there's something great about it. I just <coughs> excuse me. Well, that was weird. Um, yeah, if you go to additional notes for Silver Serpent, it just plainly says not a black metal release. Period. Dungeon synth. 
period. <laughs> like there, see, you can feel the animosity rising off of whoever wrote that. <laughs> yeah, they, and so before that, if we leave that to one side in the realm of Dungeon Synth, uh, it has been quite a minute since uh, Stella Polaris in 2017. And Stella Polaris was um, pretty big at the time, um, but it was... Uh, it was part of this move of Finnish guys towards more uh, North Second Wave and or Symphonic stuff. Uh, so not that long after Werewolves, Fimble Winter, and at exactly the same time as uh, the White Death record, which was very Gorgoroth. Um, and Stella Polaris also sounded kind of more like Gorgoroth, more like highly... Per- like down the line second wave stuff, but with some symphonic stuff that you were comparing to Nocturnal Mortem, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and very very high, big warm guitar tone, things like that. It was kind of an, it was enjoyable to listen to, but as far as like riffing and personality, it just you know it, it, the songwriting was pretty standard. Uh, and the Goat Moon character was way peeled back. I think it was just like, hey, I wonder if I can write a, like, kind of a Norwegian black metal album, but make it a lot more beefy. And he did. But, uh, you know, this is... Everything about this record screams, uh, this is Goat Moon doing Goat Moon. Right? Uh, and, you know, these... The, the people in this scene tend to... Uh, because they're it's it's tight knit. They all talk to each other. They all collaborate. There there tends to be sort of phases to these things. So uh, in the, so just as there was this parallel with um, White Rune back in the day, which was a, a project that at that time included Werewolf on you know in in uh, guitar and synths and all that. Um, in this, there's a parallel with the Satanic Warmaster comeback record. Right. Mm. Um, very much like, okay, we've explored, we've tried our hands in different styles, let's come back, incorporate that all, and do something that very much is the band to a T. So, the, the, you know, the comparison is kind of inevitable. Uh, and these are bands that have, over the course of years, have influenced each other um, uh, quite a lot, right? Like on the last, where on the last Satanic Warmaster record, right, you could hear like some of the highlight moments sounded like Goat Moon mm-hmm. or like the White Moon record the White Rune record didn't really sound like Satanic Warmaster it sounded like Gorgoroth with a, with a bit of Goat Moon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah so this is uh, the the second prong of that new Finnish attack from the veterans um, and uh, I think I don't know. I think we should just get into what we think of it, which is basically like, I was quite prepared to like this a lot, and on my first couple spins I really did. Uh, the death metal guy pointed out that it might be, uh, might not quite be hitting the mark, and once he said that, I was like, hmm, you may have a point, because the times I'd listened to it, I had listened to it in a very scattered, deconcentrated way, right? Like I'd put it on while I was doing stuff and listened to, say, most of it. And was like, hey, that's great. And then I listened to the rest of the album later. It's like, hey, that's great. Um, when I went back and did the full listen, uh, it has many 
satisfying Goat Mooney parts that are good. Some are very good, some are great. But it does come out as kind of less than the sum of its parts, was, I think, a thing you said in the notes, and I think quite apt. It does not... It's really hard to describe what's weird and less than fully satisfying about this record, but we were just bandying about ideas for about fucking, you know, 30 minutes before we did this review, so let's get into <laughs> it. Um, yeah, I, 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 I do not think this is a very good album. <laughs> it's, it's, um, yo, so here's, here's the deal. Like, this is a return to form in some sense in that it sounds like Goat Moon. Um, you talked about Stella Polaris. I think you were like kind of charitable. I don't. I think Stella Polaris is a bad album. It's it's <laughs> it's boring. That's the well, big. Well, well, I don't listen to it. Yeah, the crime of Stella Polaris is that it's just really fucking boring. Like yeah, Goat yeah, yeah, Moon yeah. is good at being Goat Moon. Um, right. So this seems like almost a response to that because I think I don't think we we're alone on that. I think there were a lot of people that were kind of bummed by Stella Polaris. So. So this is the return to form in that it sounds like Goat Moon, but to me it sounds like Goat Moon, um, it, it, it sounds like Goat Moon made by ChatGPT. Like it, like we fed a bunch of Goat Moon records into an AI and it can, it can produce Goat Moon riffs and some of them are like pretty good. Um, and it can, it can, it can make individual parts that are good, but they seem linked in completely arbitrary ways. Um, the individual moments, individual sections of this album can be very good, but they invariably almost have nothing to do with the parts next to them. Um, Goat Moon's <coughs> always been, like, to me, they've always been kind of, like, blocky in an endearing way, which I think is fine. I think it's totally fine for you to make black metal records that are four of this riff, four of that riff, etc., um, but the problem is Goat Moon is so sort of all over the map on this record, trying to do all the Goat Moon things and also trying to do some other things at the same time. But there's just no organizing principle to these songs. The, it does feel like you could take song, riffs from one song and put them in another song and not much would change. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I was about to say exactly that. A common problem is... Um, uh, blast riffs that seem like they should lead to other blast riffs and that just drop into a uh, either a stomping or trudging mid-tempo or yeah. mid-tempo sections that seem like they need to go into something else mid-tempo or a D-beat or a 6-8 or something or even a different kind of blast riff and instead, we just go immediately into, like, the epic blast riff. And I have no problem with this kind of, like, four of this, four of that songwriting. They just have to be... It should be... That sort of straightforwardness should be at the service of minimalism and discipline. So, like, mm -hmm. Finnish Steelstorm, right, is, like, songs that are, like, which is, I mean, for both of us, and I think for everyone, sort of just the gold standard on Goat Moon, right? Mm -hmm. There are some, this, the other records have good things about them, but, uh, you know, that's the one. And um, this is, uh, you know, there are, like, four or five riff songs, maybe less sometimes, that just have these... Um, sequences of every riff is extremely good, and every riff has a completely necessary connection to the things around it, and often not necessarily the one you would have expected, right? It can be surprising. 
um, and the uh, the riffs are written to turn around into each other, and that is not happening here. No, um, like the the yeah. pacing issues that you describe aren't just in the sense of like parts not really making sense next to each other. There's there's melodic issues mm-hmm. that emerge. Yes, exactly. So so this is a record where Goat Moon is like trying to return to the more core Goat Moon sound, but it it will not let go of these like second wave ideas. Uh, which is fine. You can do second wave black metal, but they're just dropped completely unadorned. These like mayhem type riffs get dropped unadorned next to big stompy black metal RAC riffs and stuff. And it just it doesn't work. It consistently doesn't work across and, the record. And it's also like and yeah, to the extent those things already were in Goat Moon songs. They were just delivered in the kind of um rousing uh, epic way that was Goat Moon. One of the great things about Finnish Steelstorm was that the um, the epic riffs were furious, really angry and grim. Even the most sort of like catchy, mellow death sounding ones like, uh, you know, what's, what, what's a good example? Like, uh, you know, one of the most sort of like bouncy, upbeat riffs. I remember an old roommate of mine who had no interest in metal. Uh, it was like, hey, that's pretty catchy, right? Immortals Winter, <laughs> right? Immortals Winter rips and is furious. Um, uh, and at the same time, he would play these riffs that were much more minimalist and dissonant, uh, or much more stripped down and dissonant, and a lot more like Norse riffs. But they sounded very epic and s- stern and noble. So, like, Bitter Winter of Depression has this awesome very simple bashing epic power chord thing and then this really kind of um st- high tension strained kind of thing that was like a uh almost a simplified version of a um like a Nidin kind of riff or a or a dawn kind of riff or something you know uh so the epic the epic stuff is grim and the grim stuff is epic and they launch into one another in a cool uh high contrast, high energy way where the melodies and rhythms are coherently related. And and so and here, yeah, it's like the Norse stuff is just totally undigested and it's just like we need something that sounds like spooky burzum here. Well I think I think one of the other problems and this mm-hmm. is gonna sound very weird, is that like mm-hmm. this is almost this record is almost overproduced in a weird way, in that a lot of these sections just have too much shit going on. There's like too many vocal layers. There's, you know, mm-hmm. synths where there don't need to be mm-hmm. synths. It, it's going for this high density maximalist approach, but it, it ends up just sounding kind of like noisy and confused. Um, not in like chaotic clamor of battle way, just in like mm-hmm. not not well arranged in the soundscape kind of way. Uh, I, I think I see what you mean. Um, <laughs> would it be fair to say that like the tones are kind of instead of being maxed out, the tones are kind of dispersed? It's it's weird. the The sound quality on this album is very strange in that it's like not especially loud, but still feels pretty clippy. Um, it's especially a problem in the most maximalist moments, like the 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 opening of the record, 
um, after the intro, uh, the song Snakes Above Dragons Below opens with this big blast and like every instrumental voice going off at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it just sounds like a noise grind song for like 20 seconds. Well, okay. Which, In- conceivably, that could be cool. Yeah, it could conceivably be cool, but it's not. So <laughs> it's just it's just not very good. I mean, um, that song kind of shapes itself up, but that's a consistent problem across this record is yeah. that Blackout's like trying to do too much at once. It's like he's gotten access to more time in the studio and more production possibilities than he used to, but he's gotten kind of drunk on it. And it, yeah, he, he I, I totally hear that. Back. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this band thrived on minimalism and parameters that were both, to some degree, they were parameters of just younger, less experienced with composition, less studio time, and to some degree, they were self-imposed disciplines, mm-hmm. uh, and it was just good. His songwriting thrived on that. In this case, yes, it seems like the energy has been spent all over the place and not concentrated in the right ways. I think the thing I was going to say about the guitar tone is that this is a, he's had records that don't. Like, Finnish Steelstorm, Death Before Designer also is fucking loud, yeah. right? It has a sort of battering ram aversion of, like, a heavy Dark Throne sound or something. Uh, Finnish Steelstorm is loud. It's like brick-walled upper mid, right? It's louder than any other Finnish black metal record. And that's what's awesome about it. Um, and there's a very narrow bandwidth of sound. You have the, the blasts, and you have the vocals, and you have the guitars. Uh... On this, the guitar, you have more folky tones on Variat, and there are some great songs on that record, right? And uh, Voito is more folky also, but the guitars are still pretty biting and nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and on this one, the guitars are picked a lot slower, and the tone is more sort of... It's just like open, warm distortion, so it all sounds a little bit more like strummy and flabby. It, it makes everything sound lazy. It, it's... Yeah, it's just like more, it's like, yeah, one of this guy's strengths is just searing intensity. And if you try to do like, I don't know, I almost feel like at times he wants to sound something like Vordvin. Like, that's a classic record for people that is like, that's one of those hidden classics of the Blogspot era. But Vordvin, Towards the Frozen Stream, it's like Finnish symphonic black metal that is this kind of, it's a little like summoning. It's kind of this loping mid-tempo stuff with whimsical flutes and Tolkienisms, but like, and in some ways, it's a lot more musically laid back. But that's just like a totally different feel with totally different musical strengths and compositional approaches, you know. And here, it's like it's it's not what one would want from this band, especially on a comeback record, and it's not like what he's best at. You know, I just realized, you know, you know what the problem is? It's like depicted by the album cover. You know, it's like there's a there's a big fucking eagle and it's breathing a bunch of fire and it's burning down the town. But there's there's lightning and then there's a big it's a big. Hey, hey, I think this is I think this is one of the coolest covers. I mean, this will be one of the best covers of 2023. There's too much. There's too much shit going on. No, no, it's (laughs) awesome. There's a fucking eagle and there's lightning and there's like a there's like massive weather formation. But it's also a goat skull. Yeah, And the songs we're going to have we're going to have the R.I.C. Stomp part, but then there's gonna be keyboards. So there's gonna be like hey, eight hey. vocals going. No, on. I, I, I'm gonna. I, I will. I, the, the hill I will die on is that the cover rules. Um. Uh. But um. It's, All right. Uh, well. <laughs> yeah. 
No, it's like, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, and and to make it clear, it's like... But I get what you mean. I get if that's the approach that makes the cover, you could attempt to do that in the album and it really not deliver. Yeah, it's a, I, I want to make it clear that there's like there's really not much on this record that's unpleasant to listen to. Honestly, the biggest criticism of it is that yeah. it just it breezes by. It's like that, um, it's almost hard to focus on. So that's the main point. Yeah, so that's what I realized after listening to it more is I had been listening to it like a rock listener, mm-hmm. which I mean like as a self-criticism, right? Yeah. I had been listening to it casually and usually when I'm casually listening, I'm pretty damn attentive, right? But in in this case, like, I, I guess I thought it was me. Oh, I'm not putting in enough effort. But then I realized the record makes you listen to it like that. It just breezes by, and there are certain big moments, and you'll hear them and be like, hey, that's the Goat Moon I know and love. That's awesome. And then by the end, you might be like, oh, I like this album. But it's a lot more like, say... A Queens of the Stone Age fan listening to the fourth or fifth Queens of the Stone Age record, right? And being like, hey, that's a banger, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's written kind of like rock music. Um, so uh, let's, get, let's get to the songs. I think we've, we've, we've gotten, yeah, gotten the essence of it across. Let's go to what I think is basically the only just like really tight... Uh, you know, if people are not familiar with Steel Storm or whatever or whatever, I'd say Breastfed by Reptiles really encapsulates what I like about this band and is, I think, just that's one of the that's the only one where I'll be like front to back. This is a great song. It's awesome. I'm I'm glad it's on the record.
there you go. That's the triumphant part, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, so there it 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 really delivers, right? There's there's the 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 thing at the end is the big goat moon riff that launched a thousand lesser uh, USBM triumphant black metal bands. Um, but the beginning of the song highlights what I thought is so good about his style before, where you get this that initial riff is like a pretty cool hybrid riff that has this kind of these soaring chords and then it drops into almost death metal trem or like early second wave trem and it doesn't just sound like evil or nasty or dissonant it still has this sort of um that quality of like the greatest storming black metal bands uh and it has this uh sounds very commanding and scowling and then we drop into the stomp, and the stomp stomps, right? Okay, that's great. It makes sense that the transition makes sense. We get that um, scowling hybrid riff again, really high tension, boom, some stomp. and Or actually, it doesn't even go back to the stomp. Then it like lifts off into a second version of that first riff that sort of uh, develops the more glorious chording, but still in this really sort of strenuous flight that's like eagle dive bombing a town kind of a riff you know that's like an album cover riff there i really hear it um and then finally we get the big release and the big kind of uh the big mellow death riff basically yeah and that's the first note of criticism i would introduce here as in that is the by far the best of those riffs on the album this sort of like uh you know the sort of epic Finnish black metal riff, um, the 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 sliding the the Franco Finnish style. But do you notice that that's played more like Migla? Oh yeah, yeah, it's it, weird. It doesn't it's like feel it, like it should. No, if you listen to the riffs like that on uh, Steel Storm or or even the older stuff, right? The melodies are like that, but they rest on these dense beds of cording that give them texture and power, right? That's the whole sliding chord style of the, you know, from the Franco-Finnish style and Osculum Infam and Seigneur Valand and, you know, that werewolf imported, right? Uh, that's, it's like the melodic contours of that are still here, and what you get is its resonance with, like, early Swedish melodic death metal and stuff, but you don't, like, if he's doing, there's some chording in there, it's just nowhere near as important, and the production clusters on kind of glistening leads like Migla. Yeah, there's, like, you can imagine that being dropped onto exercises in futility. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, you absolutely could, and you could also... I think here, that's a great riff. I would love to hear him play it in the old style, but even here, that's an awesome riff. If that were on Exercises in Futility, but like, yeah, kill it, Migla, right? But but it sounds a little like, even here, it sounds like he's playing Goat Moon How Other People Hear It. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, the, like this, this, this sample sounds fine. This song is fine, but, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe this is unfair, but I don't really think it is. Does that touch? Does this as a song touch anything on Finnish Steelstorm? No, I don't think so. But if you did an album of songs that were all as good as this, I would say, there, okay. th- yeah, I'd be fine. Yeah. I, I, I would listen to it. I'd be like, great, I want more songs that sound like <laughs> that. Like, it, I wouldn't, you know, maybe it, 
I don't know where it would fall on the year-end list or whatever, but, like, an album of just stripped-down, direct, riff-based, but somewhat developmental songs like that, you know, you couldn't go wrong. Everyone would like it and whatever. But that is maybe one of the most... That is actually the most minimalist song on the record, I think. And it also does everything you would need a song like that to do. Um, and things tend to go wrong <laughs> when more stuff is thrown into the mix. Yeah. So I'll, <laughs> I guess I'll play one of those parts. Um, <laughs> uh, so this is, uh, I want to play the end of Rodent Throne. Um, this is the part of the album where I wake up. Um, I listened to this album like three times in a row um, the other night and consistently I I could not like focus on the first like four songs of the mm-hmm. record. Um, Rodent Throne uh, at the end suffers from the you know the sort of maximalist problem. However, it's like one of the only instances of kind of naturalistic songwriting that you hear across the album where mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, there's too much shit going on, but all of these riffs sound like they go together. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So there's pretty cool stuff here. There's cool melodies. There's a cool, uh, like jangly corded riff. That's very traditionally goat moon until you realize it's just the intro to blood is thicker than water by impaled Nazarene. Um, and then for some reason, there's a huge cock rock solo. Um, I, I don't know. Let's give it a listen and just, I guess, tap out when it's too much. <laughs>
Yeah, you know, listening to that again, I remember I was talking about how uh, you know it's got like naturalistic songwriting. I I forgot that it's just it's just two riffs going back and forth. So I retract my statement. Um, oh, they go they go together. They they go together. <laughs> there's that's I mean it's and they're they're pretty good. Um, there's too much shit going on. There's no reason we need a, a synth pad just taking up frequency space during that little alt-rocky arpeggiated riff. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no reason we don't need a fucking spoken word passage. We definitely don't need the solo. Really, we don't need anything except the riffs right there. Um, It's... uh, So it's like, that's... Again, this, like, sounds pretty good, but it's just... It's it's overplaying its own hand. And also, I want to go back to... Because this occurred to me when we played your first sample... The the drum production is what's fucking killing me on this record. Okay, yeah. So what do you mean by that? Uh, it, it's the cymbals in particular that like the hi hats and stuff are so brassy and weirdly digital sounding. I was like trying to look up lineup information to see if maybe this was done on an e kit or maybe mm-hmm. it was programmed or something, but it doesn't look like it. I mean, it says Black Goat did the drums. Mm-hmm. Black Goat did the drums and the vocals, and he's on, at least on Metal Archive. He's not credited on anything else, which is. Uh, concerning you know if you're Mm -hmm. you've entirely padded out like 80 percent of this record with session musicians that could be part of the problem that you're experiencing um but yeah so you've got like the the drums are I, i can tell that it's like it's buried underneath everything but there's way too much fucking reverb on them so they're just taking up a bunch of very cluttered low frequency space dude the reverb, yes, that's part of it. It's, it's combining with the guitar tone on the more sort of strummy parts to make mm-hmm. this kind of wash of dispersed, warm, warm white noise. It's, yeah, it's like it it's, doesn't have any edge to it. No, whatsoever. it's like rock guitar. Yeah, it's like rock guitar. And, and, I mean, and, and the like drums, too. Yes, yeah. the drums. I mean, like... Um, yeah, I can see the the symbols interacting with the guitars in a bad way to just make everything kind of. Yeah, and that's um, that's the thing. It's like it's not an especially loud record, but it, it's it's so clippy and noisy and cluttered. It makes it really hard to immerse yourself in the riffs because you've just got this fucking noise that's just sort of humming over everything. And, you know, Goat Moon production has always been, like, kind of noisy, but it was in, like, a satisfying raw black metal way. This is just, yeah. this is what happens when well, you've got too much going on in the studio. Well, another, another, yeah, uh, uh, I mean, a good comparison might be, uh, you know, on, on his first record, on Death Before Dishonor, there's, um, he deliberately puts the crash really high, but it's mm-hmm. like a cymbal, and he's playing it, and it's <laughs> like, it sounds really loud, it sounds really loud and brutal. Uh, and he's playing the drums himself, and it's, quote, not good drum playing, but it's awesome. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's got it's, spirit. It's Yeah, and, like, it's awesome hearing the crash that loud, but it's not just this warm wash of kind of digital tone. It's like, bash, bash, bash. He's, you can tell he's, like, gleefully hitting it every chance he can. Um, as there was someone in the comments like, finally, someone gives the crash symbol the prominence it deserves. But, um... But in in this case, it's um it, it's doing it's like there's a similar taste at work, but it's having a completely opposite effect. Yeah, it, I I think there's, I I don't know how much better this record would be recorded differently mm-hmm. or just remixed or yeah. something, but there's something seriously wrong 
happening. I, I think like I think I think like I'm so used to hearing a bunch of really heavy metal shit in black metal these days that even though I criticize it, right? If I had heard something that was that indulgent, all of it, including the guitar solo shit, if I heard it on a different record that was like prepared for structurally or it was juxtaposed with really ripping, withering music or, you know, like if it was earned in some way or offset in some way, I think I would just be like, I'd buy it. I'd be like, hell yeah, we're rocking out. You know, this is the deliberately, we, you know, Black Goat has this deliberately sort of immediate, uh, poppy would have been the wrong word for it in the past, although in this case it's the right word, but it has always had this immediate sing-along melodic appeal. He's playing into that. Why not? He's earned it. He's influenced a generation of bands. The kids want this shit. Hell yeah, we'll give it to him. Guitar solo, right? That could be <laughs> awesome, right? I, I would, you know, I would be like rocking out. I'm sure the first couple spins I did when I was casually listening to this, I was just like, hell yeah, man. But like in, I'm, there's a lot of big gesture. This record centers entirely on the big gestures and it lacks the context to make you really buy them. The other good example would be um, Raging with the Lion's Blood. Uh, so that has a really kind of painful alternation of a mid-tempo riff that seems like it's dropping out of a certain kind of fast riff that it hasn't dropped out of. Um, and seems like it's going somewhere into another mid-tempo riff or something. Doesn't. G immediately goes into like a decent Sargeisty kind of blast riff alternates a couple times and there's just like great RAC banger rock time and it, the rest of the track is awesome it's like two minutes of you know goat moon at his most indulgent sort of uh um you know uh drinking his goblet on a throne of skulls or whatever right but like the or chanting along with the lads but like it, it it just it's just tacked on to the first part of the song. It's like you could take that you could take the last two minutes and just make the song that. Well, yeah, I mean, the well we keep going back to in this review is mm -hmm. overindulgence. You know, yes. it, which is which is funny because it's like Finnish Steel Storm is so fondly remembered because it's a uh, it's one of these kinds of Finnish black metal records that really just goes for the throat and plays the cool riff, and it's very unselfconscious about how catchy and straightforward it is. Mm -hmm. um, the, so, so despite the fact yes. that it, despite the fact that it was so accessible, because that's the thing, is like Finnish Steel Storm is like super accessible. Yeah, if um, you can stomach the production and you know and all of that yeah yeah right? yeah it's very accessible but it's musically very approachable but the funny thing is is like it proves that there was this like black metal rigor operating the whole time because mm -hmm. it starts mm -hmm. to fall apart when those boundaries get taken down that's a very good way of putting it yeah yeah because so, because i was about to say oh you know, let's listen to this let's listen to your next i have a real fucking real banger late album fucking banger right mm -hmm. <laughs> God. <laughs> All right, so we're on to uh, Trinity. Uh, and this belongs to what you could call a, a set of songs on this record. There are three of them, and they're written in similar ways. Um, they are Flying on Torn Angel Wings in the middle, 
What Once Was, the title track, uh, is track six, and then followed by that, the track track seven, Trinity. Um, these tracks could be described as trudges. <laughs> these tracks could be described as bad. They're just bad Really songs. bad. <laughs> really bad. Trinity is the best of them, which is why we're sampling it. It has a part that's better than the others, and you can see where he was going there. Uh, and you can hear... But, like... We didn't sample the others because that would be, you know, we're not sadists. Well, okay, we are. But um, uh, fly, Flying on Torn Angel Wings, I think we'd agree, is just like having a song that bad in the middle of an album is kind of backbreaking. Oh, yeah, that's that just fucking really derails the album. So it's like, imagine the idea of, say, down-tempo, generic, mayhem... Uh, Emperor Burzum. <laughs> Down-tempo, gener generic Norse second wave pastiche. The, the, the slow parts of the second wave mumbled. The slow parts of the second wave without any of, like, the mosh or the hypnotic or... It's just slow. Um, yeah. And it's not even, like, a slow part, like a mountainous bathory or something. It's like... It's just sort of trudging mid-tempo. Yeah, it's like um, almost like DSBM pacing. Yeah, it's a lot like DSBM, actually. And, you know, trudging, as we've talked about on the show, almost anything that I can describe as a trudge, I don't like, mm. right? They're like, I like some, even if it's, like, really slow, I like some, you know, it's that awkward lower mid-tempo that's kind of labored or whatever, yeah. right? Uh, however, it's especially not apt for this band, Right? Goatmoon has written plenty of good slow songs, and what they are is sort of like uh, slow-burning, folky, patriotic anthems or something, right? It's like they, they have a tinge of finish to them, a tinge of sing-along. They're like strummed. The idea is bardic, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is not that. Um, uh, what Once Was is... I'm, I Honestly, I can't even remember how that one sounds, except it sounds a little more Goatmoony, but like works the same. Um, and Trinity is, you know, here you can hear what he was going for with his parts, I think, a little more clearly. Um, uh, let, let's check it out. We're about 40 seconds in.
really drops into the, the, the gay pirate riff at the end with an audible clunk. Yeah. Well, I like that... God, so that song is full of, like... So the thing at the beginning is the kind of, like, slow, unpleasant, second-wave-y riff that dominates Flying on Torn Angel Wings. Basically, as you described, it's sort of just like... It's kind of just, like, needling half-step stuff. Yeah, you, right. you get a you get a spooky chord. You it's mm-hmm. a it's a big power chord, and then it's got like a weird accidental like on the the fourth string down, and then you play some stuff with those notes, and then you go yeah. up or down a half step, yeah. and you play some more stuff. You do simple single string tremolo over it in arpeggios. It's like you took an emperor riff and stripped away all of the structure all of the shape of it and all of the thrash in it um and you strip away the the idea from it or or like burzum honestly it also sounds like the parts in burzum that i like least but understand were important and necessary there they have this kind of atmospheric spooky thing going here it's just needling yeah and it was also Mm -hmm. 30 years ago so yeah. the technology not being up to snuff was like, more acceptable. If, if, <laughs> yes, if you want to, if you want to pay tribute to spooky Burzum, there are different ways you you could do that in a more focused and deliberate way. Like we've heard on a couple of, on a couple like on the Satanic Warmaster thing, and also I think on that Grieve record, it had like a, a Burzum tribute. Um, mm-hmm. This is uh, yeah, I think if Goat Moon decided he wanted to write a full on Burzum style song, he could and perhaps has but that ain't it um and then we get immediately to the and that's and that's really what the song that the riff at the core of the song i think that's pretty good uh i i like viking metal i think that a riff like that reveals what was probably i mean you've talked about this before that like a huge influence on this wing of the black metal scene that he has these that's very folky but has a much more immediate sense of melody uh and is kind of accessible it's highly influenced by like the harder more vikingy folk metal stuff like uh tierfing and winder right yeah yeah that's a lot like an early tierfing part it's like you're rock it just sort of rocks back and forth and but you know you're rocking on the deck of the ship you guys are setting out you're rowing you know uh you check for the ravens; they're up there. You're like, yeah, they're yeah, they're they're they're, they're the boys, right? <laughs> they're um, still there, still there. The ravens. <laughs> it's it's a chill Viking riff, right? Basically, it's sort of it's a chill. You're doing Viking business, and it's epic but chill. Um, and then we just kind of hang out there, um, and then it just drops into. It's like, hey, Senor Valand riff, and it's a really bad Senor Valand riff. It's like a outline of a. It's like a half of. It's like a, just a troped chord progression, right? It does nothing. It sounds like it's building up to something. If it has a function, it's a build-up, right? Like, Or even like you think, oh, maybe these are like the first two parts of a really long riff or something. Nope. Um, it drops back into the rolling on the ship's deck. And you had a funny thing that you said right then. Um, oh, I, I fucking... Uh, God, what did I even say? You it's said like... like there's a pinch harmonic right there. Oh yeah, just, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. A, in that in that that fucking verse riff. If you're mm-hmm. if you're black metal, mm-hmm. I, I would like to say if your black metal mm-hmm. song ever has anything that can just be called the verse riff, 
Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. made to be a verse riff. It's not a good riff. You need to throw that out and make a new riff. But hey, that's a really good point. Yeah, it shouldn't because that means you're turning into rock music and you should feel bad. And uh, you you deliberately decide this is the riff I don't care about. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's a, it's it's a riff that is deliberately pared down to be boringer than the other riffs. So it doesn't mm-hmm. steal mm-hmm. any thunder mm-hmm. from the big yeah. riffs. Yeah. Uh, there are yeah, no yeah. verse riffs on Finnish Steelstorm. There is only kill riffs and epic riffs and the secret is that both are the each other <laughs> yeah um yeah. no what i was saying is like yeah in the in that in that riff there's this like cheeky little pinch harmonic they keep mm-hmm. doing yeah. and it just like it pissed me off it's like like what are you do like why are you doing this like cool guy 80s pinch harmonic like in this riff there's this isn't like a cool enough thing to adorn in that manner right right it it it, it signals a build up drops back into the same kind of holding pattern riff and there's like squeal like that was the heaviest thing in the world right it's yeah it's an unearned pin like a lot of move there are a lot of big gestures on this record that come out of nowhere and are unearned yeah um, that's yeah and then, you know, it just does it again, right? We get a different riff that I like a little bit better. It's a little bit more of a bitter winter of depression riff. And then, but not as good, uh, just does the same thing. And like, okay, again, here's a buildup, right? Keeps going on, keeps going on, repeats too much, drop, and we're in this sort of like disoriented, depressive Viking riff. <laughs> like you know viking viking questioning his life choices riff right is like middle middle aged viking got fired from the longboat factory <laughs> just drinking mead all day <laughs> you know? yeah 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 Wife's um, re- his wife ingrid's really up his ass man yeah, yeah like, but but it's also kind of like, i don't know it's it's got this kind of like i hear it more as like kind of just like whimsical reverie you know it goes like and it then turns up to I don't know like the mood there is it's kind of has this the mood is interesting but it's interesting in the way that the most sort of introspective Dutch BM is and it comes out of nowhere (laughs) yeah it's like you're Black metal guy, I feel you, buddy, but you're fucking reaching for nice things to say. No, no, that, that that riff sucks. But what I mean is that it turns around at the end in this way that, like, there's, like, this sudden emotional complexity to the riff. Yeah, no, right? that's true. There is there, That is an interesting yeah, turnaround yeah. at the end of that riff, but the problem is 80% of it is just sloshing around these fucking, well, like, pirate Yeah, but the, the point is also that the turnaround negates what was already happening before it and the previous riff in the song. Yeah, it, yeah. Right? I mean, it becomes, it's this, it becomes a do-do-do-do-do. Okay, that's, I guess, a folky black metal riff, arpeggio thing. And then it suddenly at the end becomes kind of emo. And it's like, none of this follows from what was just happening. It seemed like we were blasting off. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I fully agree. Yeah. Um, all right. Um Protector right. of the get, North. Get your helmet on. We're going in. Yeah, fucking... I'm like... I'm like depressed. Uh, Protector of the North, it's the final track on the record, and it's just... We're just... We just... Yeah, there's just a fucking skate punk song. It's like, you know... It's just like it's at the end of the album. It's just like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, we'll just fucking do this. So, yeah, Protector of the North. 
Um, it's one of the shorter songs on the record. It's ju- it's the shortest song on the record. It's just at the end, and it's fun because I think skate punk is fun. But it's just, like what a way to close out your your first full black metal record in six years. Um, so let's listen to this and just be like, yeah, no, this is cool. We just we just we we do this we do this on our black metal albums now. So it continues for another couple minutes after that of all just the same shit. Um, same like two riffs of four chords a piece. And it's just a it's just a skate punk or it's like one of those really skate punky RAC songs, which is fine. We were talking uh, before we started recording uh, and I said that it's like, yeah, that's fine. But that's all that kind of thing ever can be because all of those bands just use the same four chords and those are just pleasing chords. There's nothing there. It's just... Yeah, yeah. we've talked about like how in some sense this is funny because I listened through the record a couple times like, hey, yeah, that part's fun, you know, whatever. And I, I sort of expected some of this from the record, right? And it was like, okay, cool. Whereas you were like, fuck this shit. And it's a funny case of like, <laughs> you, yeah. you've you picked up some of my contempt for stuff like this. But I think for me, on a Goat Moon record, if it was earned, it would make sense. Because he's always done anthemic RAC stuff. And it doesn't like literally... Well, and, and that's the thing. In the past when he's done that, it doesn't literally sound like pop punk in the way that Eisenwinter does. Mm-hmm. But this literally does sound like pop punk. And as you pointed out, so there are a couple parallels, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, again, yeah, even even this song as it is on a better album that was a one-off gest- indulgent gesture, I'd be like, sure, crowd-pleasing sing-along, fun. I, I, I'm, I'm there for it. However... We have to compare it with the sources. Um, and I think, like, or with the closest parallels. And the closest parallels are what? We both initially thought it was literally an Offspring song. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we would both agree that the Offspring version, just in the way the guitar is played and in the tightness and aggression of the band, 
sounds harder and yeah. sounds more like Finnish Steel Storm. That's the thing, that's the thing that blew my mind. It's yeah. like I was, I mean, there's a bunch of Offspring songs mm-hmm. that sound it's yeah. like I landed most specifically on "Damn It, I Changed Again" yeah. off "Conspiracy this, of One." This just is so on this song, right? On "Protector," you have this kind of flabby, strummy, mid-tempo chording. Um, compare that, like. It's just like, I mean, they're similarly anthemic, just like, there's that, like, sinister Finnish redneck anthems on Voito Tai Valhalla, which I love. That's the mm-hmm. first half of the record. It's all like that. None of that actually sounds like pop punk, and it all sounds, like, vicious and has really tight, aggressive cording. Um, except the one where he's deliberately doing this sort of, like, loping, sinister hoedown kind of rhythm, <laughs> which is really different from this, and and it and very folky. This just has kind of like loose pop punk strum. Yeah, it's like it's, pop- yeah, like I-, I I don't know. It just is. It's too. Yeah, it's so just so relaxed. Compare that to the first fifty seconds of "Damn It, I Changed Again." <laughs> So yeah, I guess I guess nothing inherently wrong with doing a song like that on a Goat Moon record. But if you are a Goat Moon and you're doing a song that sounds like The Offspring, please ensure that it sounds tougher than The Offspring. Like I, I love The Offspring; they were like my favorite band as a kid, and I've kept that love going. But they are not a tough band. <laughs> In any well, they're, sense. well, the thing I think the thing is that they are secretly tougher than they sound. Like the music is secretly tougher than it than it oh, sounds. Oh yeah, like, like like listening to the first couple. Uh, yeah, yeah. The first couple records, they're like yeah. partly a hardcore band, you can tell. But and yeah, that, that's the thing you said when the sample started. It's like listening to this, you can tell they listen to hardcore. Yeah, whereas like even on, that deep in the career, right? Whereas on 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 the Goat Moon, it is it is not on Protector of the North. It's like I mean, we can tell genealogically, okay, this comes from Oi, etc. But there's like no relation to the harder aspects of punk. Uh, and there's no urgency to it, right? You know, the Offspring guy's playing something more like a D-beat. Um, mm-hmm. It's way faster and tighter. Um, Offspring have a lot of sounds that basically work like hardcore. And, uh, yeah, okay, so I thought it might be Offspring. And you, you get that kind of... There are a lot of riffs on this record that are like the budget version of the big epic Goat Moon riffs that sound like that kind of single string epic chord progression stuff. Do, 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 do. You get some stuff that's awfully close to that on this. Mm-hmm. However, the big hook on this is the whoa, whoa, whoa's. And I was like, I know I have heard that. I know I have heard that. It, like, exactly that. Could it be parallel evolution just by virtue of that's what sounds good over those epic chords? Yes. However, um, it, it, this leads to an interesting place, and it says, if, if he actually listened to this, it says something interesting about his record collection. However, 
It is weird that it is note for note ripped off from Plastic Bomb by Poison Idea. The same picture. Yeah, it is the same picture. Um, and there's something weird about that, right? Like, in fact, there's so much about that sample that sounds like the record this one is trying to be, right? Yeah. The the way it's floridly overarranged, but very much on purpose. Uh, the you know the very immediate catchy chorus whatever there's there's a lot you know the harder verse section there there's like a lot of the same musical values on that sample and yet it's executed with relentless intensity and conviction yeah it sounds like they care
All right, we are back after a discussion about just how big a spell you can cast before it's uh, it's just politically too much. How large a fireball can you uh, conjure? Um, They're trying to say we can't make spells of infinite bigness. But I'm telling you right now, <laughs> the spells that America can make. <laughs> Have you seen the chain lightning that I can cast from these fingertips? Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> America has the most numerous black wizards. America, right? It's, uh, You've got so many black wizards, a tremendous number of black wizards. <laughs> okay, all right. So so we're, we're done talking about that, and we were back with our final record of the night, uh, which is uh, the newest record by The Howling Void, titled Into Darkness Ever More Profound, out on Funere. Um so the Howling Void uh, is related to the first band that we covered tonight, uh, which is uh, Noisy Neighbors, uh, because this is another project by uh, Ryan from Numahagion, uh, Intestinal Disgorge, and 50 other projects. Um, as I always do when I cover some of his stuff, uh, you know, disclaimer, uh, I've known Ryan for a fair number of years and we've corresponded and uh, been friendly with each other. So you know, I always like to do my disclosures about that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, the Howling Void is Ryan's funeral doom project uh, that's actually been running for a long time now. It's uh, one of his most consistent and prolific projects. This is going to be the eighth full-length record he's released since the first one, Megaliths of the Abyss, back in 2009. Um, So I followed Ryan's work for a long time. He's done stuff all over the map, but The Howling Void is actually a project that I was familiar with, but I didn't follow a great deal, Uh, which is a little bit weird because I like a lot of Ryan's stuff and I love Funeral Doom, so, you know, two great tastes. Um, The earlier Howling Void stuff, though, really didn't do a whole ton for me, at least at the time. I'm wondering if I went back now and I would get more out of it. Uh, So the Howling Void started, uh, released its first record in 2009, and I think that the problem for me was that he started to release music that came out at sort of the peak of the whole romantic funeral doom thing when there was mm-hmm. just a ton of that shit coming out all the time. And The Howling Void is very sad and very melodic and very descended in a lot of ways from Peaceville Doom. So while the genealogy is ultimately different, there's a lot of surface level similarities between this and the sort of romantic funeral doom style. And I think it kind of put me off. Um, but now, uh, I, I remember reading metal archives reviews that convinced me not to listen to it. I got, yeah. On, on similar grounds, I think. Yeah. yeah. So it's possible that maybe he's strayed from that over the years. I'll have to go back and check some of the older material again, but I can say that while the similarity is still present in that this is very mournful, very tragic, uh, very traditionally big and vast in the manner of you know this very kind of depressive funeral doom stuff um it's got more going on than that because i feel like the howling void at least on this record into darkness ever more profound really displays that the core of this music fundamentally is early skepticism uh primarily i would say their second record lead and aether which Mm -hmm. this takes a lot of some of the more abstract courting ideas from. And then the Howling Void changes it up specifically by 
having sort of a big symphonic and synth component to it, which seems a little bit pared back on this record compared to earlier stuff, but is still a pretty distinct musical voice. Um, so real quick, I want to flip. Yeah, it's, diff- it's different from the organ and skepticism because it's more like, yeah, more like what we would normally understand string arrangement to be. Yeah, yeah lots yeah. of like, like violin, cello arrangements, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, so I want to flip it to you real quick because obviously the immediate point of comparison is a record that we just talked about last week, which was the new Shape of Despair album. And I think mm-hmm. it's it would be interesting to talk about this kind of in contrast to that because there's a lot of similarities between mm-hmm. what they're trying to accomplish, but the, the end result ends up very different. Yeah, so <clears throat> I mean... I think, like, in terms of just the immediate compare-contrast, right, um, they're both on the more delicate side of Funeral Doom, um, and, uh, and as, as one of our, uh, one of our commenters stressed about liking about the, uh, Shape of Despair record was that it had a kind of negativity to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this record also does, but in a very different way. Um, shape of the shape of despair record was very um detach depressive detachment basically, um maybe with an overall pessimistic view of the world or whatever, but it's much more atmospheric state of the world thing. This is just sad. <laughs> this is deep. The, miserable. <laughs> the howling void is really sad, and it's music about loss and music that requires intense emotional vulnerability and that is if you want to listen to this with full attention it it will be emotionally consuming uh and i honestly wouldn't really recommend it unless like your dog just died um (laughs) yeah it's um it's uh or like you know life-wrecking breakup or whatever this it's very crushing music and for many settings it's it almost wouldn't be doing it justice to listen to it casually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it, yeah, this is, I think one question would be whether it's the sadness of mourning or raw grief, right? Mm-hmm. It's not melancholy, yeah. because melancholy is this sort of in-between space, obscurity, ambiguity, mystery. This is something has been lost, and this is... Well, yeah, it's, I think it's I think it's on the morning side because, like, mm-hmm. if you look at the lyrics, um, the lyrics are interesting. They're not exactly what you would expect. They're mm-hmm. very spare, but they tend to. They're about like finality and collapse. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're about exhaustion. You know, there's a. Like uh, the the third song, Deeper, Darker Waters, the entirety of the lyrics is just how I long for that darkness far away where time cannot reach, where form cannot take root, where the motion of being must cease. I long for an end to the cycles, an end to the ebb and flow, which is like, Hmm. that's pretty fucking ghoulish, actually. And that's but that's also very similar to stuff that you would read in the lyrics for Leaden Aether by Skepticism is this this crippling exhaustion with life itself, which Mm -hmm. is. Yeah, that is a little different from what I was thinking. I was thinking personal loss. I, I think, I mean, it, it might be sort of allegorical, you know, I'm not sure if this is based off specific experiences, mm-hmm. but um, 
that is a unique mood unto Funeral Doom. Th- mm-hmm. This sort of exhausted finality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that communica- it's communicated really well on this record because the, the music sounds like, you know, empires falling into ruin. Uh, it's at once kind of delicate and personal, but it's also music of huge spaces, huge scope in time. Very slow movements uh, between parts of songs. I feel like I hear it as more personal than you do. Yeah, that's. I think that's maybe not the intent, but it it. They're just. I mean, gosh, did we sample it? Did you sample like the first riff that opens the album? Um, I believe it's in there. Yeah. Into darkness, ever more profound. It, does does he ever return to it? Yeah, it's um, yeah, the, okay. The, yeah, yeah, I yeah. believe that the first couple riffs are covered. Dum, da, da, dum, da, da, dum. Um, there there's some like sentimental isn't exactly the right word because I usually use that to condemn something, but like there are a kind of there's a kind of direct melody in this that sounds like uh. Not like pop songs, but popular music over two centuries. No, I does agree. that make sense? No, that's that's something. It's there's really... like a kind of there's a kind of like a sad melody you could hear in a 20th century Irish folk song, a sad melody you could have heard in a a bit of in in a parlor song from the 19th century, right? In in like a art song or something, um, or a more popular ballady song. Uh, a sad thing you could hear in later 20th century singer-songwriter music, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and there's a... That's the thing that gives it this personal touch to me. It's it's very, like, emotional and expressive in a lot of the melodies in a way that I think is different from Empire's Fallen. Well, I like, I like the way you describe that in that it's sort of unmoored from time. Yes, that's true. Um, it's uh, because I definitely noticed that because there's actually, you know, it, it, a lot of time it's really hard to talk about Funeral Doom on a structural level just because mm-hmm. it's so diffuse and it's so spread out. It's hard to wrap your head around stuff that's operating on such a dilated scale of time mm-hmm. musically. Um but if you can hold all the pieces in your head for long enough, you'll realize that there's a lot of there's a lot of melodies on this record that are much more related to uh, goth rock mm-hmm. and uh, a little bit of like shoegazy stuff mm-hmm. and just kind of a lot of non-metal stuff in general. There's I, some very interesting chording decisions. I, I would made. compare it to the re- latest skepticism in that the latest skepticism, some of the most powerful songs in the latest skepticism have gestures that sound like they're from cure tracks or chameleons tracks or even sort of like tears for fears Mm -hmm. new wave stuff right uh there's this kind of like and it's been completely recontextualized but it's it's music that is like you know outside even the provinces of goth that metal usually draws on right it's um and and this has some of these melodies have that quality to them do they belong in this context absolutely and 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 he proves it but it's uh it's it's not very hung up on whether a certain melodic idea is or isn't metal. And and, yeah. and that that's usually a horrible decision. But uh but in this context it 
you know, it works. That's the last thing I wanted to say real quick, overall thing, before we dive in, is like, you know, this is really good, right? And it makes me think that, like, you know, it takes a lot of skill to pull off, like what I was just saying, like recontextualizing, you know, sort of poppy 80s goth melodies or whatever, right? Not everyone can do that. This is really good. Uh, Shape of Despair was really good. And, you know, obviously we've talked a ton about skepticism and various things like that. Uh, um, and it's making me think, like, is Funeral Doom kind of... You know how you said that, like, maybe Canadian war metal, Edmonton war metal, is the ultimate form of extreme metal, mm-hmm. right? Like Axis of Advance and, yeah. you know, Sacramentary. Is Funeral Doom also that, but on the other end of the emotional spectrum? Like, this, I, because... I, I, not every band in this style is good. We know which ones are bad, right? There was this glut of romantic funeral doom. But, like, a lot of the, the standout bands are all great, and they have very, very distinct styles. Like, it, it, it fosters such a wide divergence of styles, and it can theoretically contain everything from within extreme metal and beyond. I get where you're coming from, and I, I think that part of that is just, uh, y- you know, we, we, we've talked about, I, I think we've talked about on the show how Doom is, like, tenuously a genre. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Funeral Doom in particular, it's like, well, Funeral Doom, in theory, is really just a marker of tempo more than anything. Um, you know, conceivably anything played at this tempo is Funeral Doom. But I think with that results in a lot of a lot of like negative space in the genre mm-hmm. that can be played with in really sophisticated ways by people who have an ear for that sort of thing. What I will say is I think Funeral Doom is relatively easy to make sound fine. You know, you get a cluster mm-hmm. of chords that make a good, sad mm-hmm. progression. You do a scale run as a slow, winding lead. And then that mm-hmm. sounds good. But mm-hmm. uh, while the floor might be relatively high on Funeral Doom, what's interesting is the people still manage to fuck it up really badly on a, on a semi-regular mm-hmm. basis. You know, just because... Um, when there is relatively so little going on, so few notes per second, uh, so little density to the music, it gives an outsized weight to every single one of those decisions being made. That's uh, kind of what I mean. The people who do it well are really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have to I don't know. you have to adhere yeah. to the strictures of the genre, yeah. and within those strictures, you don't have a, a ton to play with. You know, if you mm-hmm. do too much, it's no longer funeral doom. So it's um, it's it's like doing a contour drawing yeah. with just a few lines. You have to make a lot mm-hmm. happen. Um, it, it's somehow like somehow the Howling Void is the same genre as like um, Evoken, but like it also makes sense. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like um, it, it's, it's just a weird term. It's I think it coheres more as a genre than doom in general, because there's some very specific things about the mood and how it's orchestrated and whatever. But you can definitely make it with base material from black metal, from death metal, from doom, right? There are so many different ways of doing it. Yeah, and uh, so we'll, we'll get into samples, and that's, that's a cool segue, because it's like, all right, let's talk about that. You can make it with a bunch of different base materials. What's 
the base material here. So mm-hmm. let's go mm-hmm. to the opening track, the title track, into Darkness Evermore Profound. Um, about halfway through, as we get the return of the first couple riffs mm-hmm. of the song, and let's try to figure out like what is the the sort of elemental core of the music going on here. and these very small changes having mm-hmm. an outsized impact. Uh, that, uh, when that lead comes in and then the harmony comes in behind it, um, mm-hmm. that's a huge moment. I mean, that's the, that's the climax of the song, basically, and it's one of the biggest moments on the album. And it's such a small thing 
that, I mean, you can imagine plenty of other, you know, melodic metal bands doing something like that. But at faster tempos, the the subtle little variation being played by the second lead guitar would just kind of breeze by. It, it wouldn't have the gravitas and the weight that it does here. Um, the All the individual compositional decisions are massively magnified by how slow and how desolate this music is. And it draws the ear to some really interesting decisions, like that uh, that much darker melody you heard toward the beginning of the sample um, with just that little chiming synth pad that's playing an almost like major key melody against this extremely gloomy, oppressive chording. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just super interesting. I've never really heard anything exactly like that except from some like Steen von Kauder stuff before. Uh, it's... I, I don't know. The the mood that it evokes is really unusual. It's like it's sort of manically attempting to push through its own negativity or something and, and failing, <laughs> which is, I don't know, that's a, that's a very unusual mood for a metal song. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know, like the, uh, the, there's a nice sort of downward spiral quality to the simple lead that I don't think it would have if it were played at a faster tempo. Oh um, no, definitely not. Like that is a defeated sounding riff, mm-hmm. right? And not not in the bad way. Um, yeah. And and so getting back to my original question before we played the sample so what do we what's the core of this because like you were saying it's like funerals you, know, mm-hmm. you can make it out of black metal parts or death metal parts I don't really think though either of those are really central to the howling void um, you can see let's let's take that lead and just magnify that for a bit so that lead is no, like I, I think I that's a thing it has in common with um uh, shape of despair, mm-hmm. right? I mean, well, I sort of shape of despair certainly isn't rooted in black or death metal, right? It's rooted in goth. Um, but this, that's not where you're going because where you're going is metal. Yeah, yeah. So, like the the most immediate mm-hmm. obvious thing that you'll hear across this record is like catatonia, but catatonia is sort of like in the DNA of everything at this point. Any sort of melodic, mm-hmm. sad, metallic music has catatonia somewhere in there, just because it was that important. Mm-hmm. But what I think a lot of these lead ideas in particular, and a lot of the melodic texture of this album in general comes from, is Crowbar. Um, oh! Yeah, because so, Crowbar actually does a lot of like very severe doomy songs and i'm like a giant crowbar fan i know that you haven't listened to it mm-hmm. yeah, yeah 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 yeah. but a lot of these very simple sort of almost these very simple descending riffs and you can tell in that howling void lead it's almost bluesy in, in a weird way um, so if you think about a crowbar song, like a really classic, very slow one, like The Lasting Dose, that song opens with a lead with a similar texture of like defeated blues. Um, and I think that's really interesting. So the idea of using these very melodic parts of a band like Crowbar, which has so much more going on in its DNA with all the, the hardcore influence and stuff, it's not the kind of thing you would expect mm-hmm. to occur in a Funeral Doom record, and I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the one, the other one you're talking about I'll get to on the next sample. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, 
You know what? Can can I call an audible and play people the melody from the very beginning of the record? Yeah, Just sure. Like twenty, like thirty seconds of it or something. I think it's important. Okay. Um, so same track, "Into Darkness, Ever More Profound," but uh, this is what I meant about the sort of. I mean, well, you hear the emotive quality there, but this is also the record opens on basically one of the most sort of romantic sad when i was thinking about a riff that was you know a melody that was timeless that could have been in a sad irish folk song or singer songwriter or whatever it's the one that opens the record um so yeah we're just gonna start from zero and roll it until we get sad <laughs> all right Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. That is that is actually like another thing that I think has been specifically mentioned uh, by Ryan about the Howling Boys. Mm-hmm. I I believe um, he's talked about like folky stuff being really crucial, mm-hmm. um, and you can absolutely hear it there. That's just a tragic Celtic melody. It is. It, it very much is, and with all the trappings of that too, all the little turns and embellishments show up just in slow motion. Um, the other thing that's really crushing about it is that it starts in a major key. <laughs> dum, da, da, dum, da, da, da. You can tell from the first chord, it's, it's like a, it's a tragic major key. Something about it is just obvious from this, the minute it hits, but, you know, it always rises back up to that major in the sort of like, ba, ba, da, da. Well, it's sort of like. It, it, it has the quality of, yeah, just much older forms of popular song that are rooted in major tonality. But and that's also interesting because listening back now, I can also tie that to something like in between these two things that we're talking mm-hmm. about, which is that specifically reminds me of certain melodies I've heard from uh, Harvey Milk, who I think I've talked about them. To Wasn't you. he the mayor of San Francisco? <laughs> well, they're also a, a band that is... I think of as sort of a um, really powerful brute sort of sludge band, hmm. but they also kind of tie into kind of a, a grunge scene and an indie hmm. scene. They're from like Athens, Georgia, I think. Mm-hmm. So they're part of that, but they're like brutally heavy and filled hmm. with suffering. But a lot of the time, but uh. they're also into these sort of like uh, um, withered, almost nostalgic Americana melodies. Hmm, this sounds very up your alley. Yeah, yeah, this just sounds like all the things that I like. It's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. like, uh, Dust Bowl Sorrow at 60 beats a minute? Fuck yeah, dude, sign me up. <laughs> but, yeah, but there you go. So you've got something that's kind of in between that 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 folk style and the Americana and this sort of like aggressive burly sludge thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a reference, but I'll have to ask Ryan if he's a fan. 
Dust Bowl uh, Sorrow at 140 beats per minute. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> really breaking the tone there. Um, oh, man. No, we need, we need something to survive this shit. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, okay, so uh, next sample. There's four tracks on this record. We got a sample off all of them. So I got the first two, and Black Metal Guys got the back two. So, Impenetrable Gloom is the next song and another really important influence to this band and funeral doom in general is summoning um this track in particular has lead melodies that sound like they're taken like directly out of the summoning cat like dull golder or, or something like that um because summoning is an interesting band we've talked on the show about how it's like summoning is like kind of a martial industrial band but i've, I've always also thought of them as like kind of a doom band Really, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they're definitely not a black metal band. I don't think <laughs> yeah, like, there's I don't something know. like Doom. There's some place where Doom and Marshall Industrial converge, and if you said that, you would also end up with Funeral Doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, 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 if you said Doom and Marshall Industrial, if someone might like, be like, oh, like this, and it would just be skepticism. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like. so summoning's really important because a lot of what the Howling Void does is um, just the, the slowest most tragic dorian intervals possible Mm -hmm. and now it's going to be very fun to listen to this because i was struck with a a moment of profound inspiration when i heard this part um so we're actually going to listen to this synced up to the death of boromir in (laughs) the fellowship (laughs) of the ring um and you actually got to preview it uh yesterday do, bro, does it work? Convince convince everyone to go to the link. In the, in the go go to the link. It works. He chose the exact right moment to start it. Uh this 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 the sink this sink was existed in the fates before it before the death metal guy found it. It's yeah. um it's a, this it's is a, a it was meant to be. Moments. Yeah, yeah. It's meant to be. Yeah. So so let's uh let's listen you guys mm-hmm. at home you click on the link but uh we're going to listen and watch because I've watched this like 20 fucking times synced up to this music and I can't mm-hmm. get enough of it. <laughs> Thank you. 
that that sink is fucking ridiculous like how many shots are lining up with measure changes and i like how when the guitars drop out at the end and it's just mm -hmm. the synth work mm -hmm. that's when the hobbits try to charge in and are carried away mm -hmm. by their friends in, mm -hmm. in in the moment where the music releases itself and gives up it, it's the moment where the, the, the ineffectual quality presents itself in the hobbits who can't mm -hmm. help their friend even if they want to. Holy shit. Um, it's so cool. Yeah. Well, that's the, other, that's the other really sad thing about that scene is that, you know, like, Tolkien, Tolkien writes epic heroes, right? This is the territory of myth, but Tolkien is also a veteran and he knows what weapons do to people. So he's like, Boromir legendary hero but a regular guy one arrow no problemo two arrows that's a problem three arrows he can't get up mm -hmm. and that's really sad yeah yeah it's a, it's one of the saddest scenes in the series yeah. Um, yeah. but obviously so the lead there is just s tier fucking like beautiful uh, it, it's more of that celtic stuff but it's also like I lined it up with uh, Fellowship of the Ring because this sounds very Tolkien-inspired. You know, it, it has that fantastical quality mm -hmm. that's, like, tempered oh. by this, you know, Velchmerz that's always present in Tolkien's work. Yeah, yeah, the deep sense of mourning. I mean, yeah, honestly, the melody there would not be out of place at the end of all the movies. Um, oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. There's a very sentimental Celtic melody that comes in, and it's a little more sort of celebratory, nostalgic kind of thing. But it's not like it's 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 same ballpark. Um, and yeah, you could even say like you you know like uh, the Enya in that soundtrack is really good Enya, and yeah. this has something in common with that. Mm -hmm. um, I, would say, I think a lot of Funeral Doom does. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. It's the goth New Age singularity. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and also another thing I want to say is uh, there's a lot of sections on this record. You heard it in the first sample and you heard it there too. Mm -hmm. um, that is just like ambient synth work. But that is not meaningless filler on this record at mm -hmm. any point. Mm -hmm. um, no. And a lot of it is extremely Spartan. We're talking about just two chords interacting with each other. But the chords selected are always bursting with depth and a sort of complex relationship with each other. Um, mm -hmm. So those these ambient sections are used as pivot points between larger riff arrangements, and I think they're incredibly effective. I, a lot of Funeral Doom bands try that out, but they can't really hack it because they just don't have the compositional ear. They don't know how to make chords big enough. You know, to, to to fill in that space, but Ryan does, and I think oh. that's really cool. Yeah, that synth moment is one of the that's like the center of the song almost, mm -hmm. um, and I really like the simple patch there. Yeah, um, it's it, there's a, a the really, simple choirs. There's yeah. a very restrained hand on the sort of um, mm -hmm. synth voices used on this record, mm -hmm. and I think it's to the benefit of the record. I, li I like that it's like, even though this is very melodic, very mm -hmm. sorrowful music, there's a sort of rigor. There's a refusal to do too much. You're not going to, you don't want to overwhelm the inherent emotion of it by stacking it too much. While, while we're on that subject, I will say if I had one criticism of this record, it would be 
something about the overall tone quality mm-hmm. of some of the stuff. Like, I, I really like the synth patch there, but I feel like, I don't know, maybe m- maybe I'm wrong here, but it a lot of the synth, the synths are very present and feel very digital. And the guitars, which I know, okay, almost nobody's going to buy a fucking analog synth for their Funeral Doom band, right? That's <laughs> like, we, we we're, this is metal. We don't use analog synths. We can't afford that shit. Um, it's, it's, either, it's either your computer or a pipe organ at the Cathedral of, of Turku, Finland. Um, but um, it's, uh, you know, like, there's... I think at times I want it to be a little less warm and a little less expand. I don't know, you know, like some harder edges in the guitars or the synths. I, I think I would like not necessarily in the sense of hard, like we wanted in the Goat Moon, right? Mm-hmm. But more like um, some more def- tonal definition. It's the, the sort of like warm, smooth uh, synth can. In some places, it in some places I never think about it at all. In other parts, I think about it more. Does that make sense? No, I get what you mean. Um, I, I I like all the tones it, on this, it, but I I I I think the issue that you're running into is like there are moments where you would want something harsher, um, you know, harsher in a very general sense. It would still mm-hmm. be you know kind of contiguous with the music. Mm-hmm. I think the issue that you run into with Funeral Doom when it comes to stuff like that is you want that kind of smooth continuum of sound for the most part just because there is so much negative space and, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff with too sharp an attack or release can kind of disrupt the atmosphere, I think. But I think it's like a delicate thing you have to play with to find a Yeah, I think I just, I think like different tone quality is all I'm I'm saying. Like certain things a little crisper or whatever, right? This sounds different. I mean, the synth, there are obviously digital synths on a lot of other funeral, you know, I mean, on the Shape of Despair record, right? They're using very modern digital synths. Um, You know what I would say? It's produced like this was like a one-man computer project from the beginning, right? Yeah. To me, it sounds like he hasn't updated the production in a long time. And musically, and musically, he's operating far above the level at probably at which he started it. Mm-hmm. And this now sounds compositionally like, you know, in the same tier as something like Shape of Despair or something. And I wish it had a bit more of a richer production. But at the same time, that mean might mean, oh, great, you have to go record in a fancy studio in Finland. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I get that there are obstacles to this, but I wonder if... I wonder if there's an even stronger version of this record that gets the um, the pomp and ceremony it deserves. Yeah, it's it's very possible. I I think that Ryan has always done this just with kind of like the tools he has available. Yeah, yeah. and at the same time, there's something really commendable about that, right? I, I don't think it's really a fault of the record, right? That's me holding a alternate universe version of it against it. You know what oh, I mean? I, it's no, not like I, a problem. I definitely it's, get it. It's no, a limitation. That's a it's a valid thing to say. I I think I just like the tones because I listened to. Um, this is a very very good version of a lot of the sort of. 2000s, you know, early direct input Funeral Doom stuff that I used to listen to, and a lot of mm-hmm. those had really crispy digital tones. Mm-hmm. And you 
and it's weird and it's like it doesn't have enough base and it's it's sort of crumbling mm-hmm. but you get into a headspace for it so i i kind of like that this makes me remember those weird cdrs i had back in no the no I, I get it it's lo-fi yeah 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 so anyway uh let's get to uh, your half of the record man what do you got all right um let's go uh time for Deeper, darker waters. You already read the lyrics for that. And here's one of the more death metal moments on the record. There are some punctuating moments that are very heavy. You know, is sort of like some sort of crushing moments with... I mean, the guy's growls are amazing, right? And you get a lot more of that in um, uh, the, 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 the other band. That we like, you know, Numa the, the one yeah. with the blast beats. Yeah, in in Numa Hagion, right? You get a lot more of that sort of just uh, um, demonic growl energy. But there are par- parts in here where you get that, and there are other parts like this where you get guitar work that is more clearly like relentlessly negative death metal stuff. And what you're going to get here is some oppressive repetition.
So yeah, I think I, I I'm starting to see what you mean about um, some of the like especially the distortion patch on the guitar. It's got that certain kinds of di distortion patches have mm-hmm. this kind of like odd like warbling almost strobing quality especially i definitely sustaining. heard that yeah, yeah. and it's it, it's interesting it's it's weird because it's like a tone that i wouldn't like in anything else but in funeral mm-hmm. doom i'm just so used to some of those like 2004 2005 records that had mm-hmm. that it, it it has a a comforting familiarity to me i guess <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I get that, and it's a kind of natural vibrato or whatever. I think, um, yeah, I mean, all of the production has a comfortable familiarity to me because we've dicked around with the same tones and qualities, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And I I think the... um, I think if the guitars were maybe not direct input or recorded in a different way then this sort of deliberately the synthesized flatness of the the strings would actually be a strength like oh, i like yeah I, yeah yeah then you get a thergathon that's what you're describing something like that exactly yeah then it's then it's very cool that the synths are kind of like you know uh static and digital um mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, so could, you know, but that's just, sure, this is just my, you know, endless jihad against light in guitar. Right? Um, <laughs> it's, um, so, but yeah, we should talk about the sample, right? As we were listening, you said that's very skepticism and like a lead and ether kind of melody. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the sort of like odd wandering neutral quality of that is is something mm-hmm. you'll hear a lot on that record and on pharmacon the record after it yeah and the um it, it also i mean you you get at least just in the sense that it is a kind of dissonant uh gnarly melody being repeated it it just has some of the death metal energy that you get in parts in skepticism too um it's also like the more the you remember the most death metally song on the last skepticism record uh yeah the the really passage dark or something one, yeah. yeah yeah it's a bit like that i'd say um it, it's also dude. um it, it also compares pretty immediately to um hierophant which was a like late 90s early 2000s uh funeral doom band that was kind of like a cult thing mm-hmm. um and then that guy went on to do a project called Catacombs, uh, which is a sort of more like cavernous, you know, Lovecraftian take on similar mm-hmm. ideas. So it's like there's a, there's a lot in on this record that's kind of a who's who of like cult funeral doom stuff mm-hmm. from, uh, you know, about 10, 15 years ago. That makes sense. Um, and yeah, other than that, I don't know. That's a riff that could be, that's another good example of a riff that in a faster tempo would be a passing riff mm-hmm. or part of another riff or, and here is made to just be the uh, the center, the center. And you just, and it doesn't neatly kind of resolve. It doesn't, it, it just repeats being painful for a long time yeah it's just it's just pure like weird stifling gloom Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so uh, so that's a good example of more uh metal sensibilities working here now other than that here's another here's uh, we're gonna go to the last track um it's called the end of endings um 
The lyrics here are awesome, and I think are a little different from how I was interpreting the record. Again, it's like the the record's lyrically seems to be operating on a much more impersonal level than than I thought, right? Uh, mm. Um, but uh, lyrically, this one is uh, it, it it's awesome, and I might as well read them because they're so short. Long have I waited, long have I traveled, in circles going nowhere. To see your beauty, a wall of water eclipsing the sun, a howling fire burning the clouds. That's awesome. That's that's pure old skepticism shit. Yeah, and it could also be on the Numa Hagion record, right? That's the same guy yeah. who wrote How Dare You Summon Me. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, he's got so, range. <laughs> so in a sense, I mean, I would almost say that's the... <laughs> That's almost the most positive image on the record. <laughs> At least if you're a metalhead and you're like, yeah, the apocalypse is cool, right? Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's this kind of, it's it's, a, it's an ending with a, a bang rather than a whimper, let's say. Um, uh, but, like, but the, the song, um, it... It ends in an odd way, so I'm just going to play from just after, you know, from about the 41 minute mark right through the end.
Yeah, so those seconds of silence are in the track. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so this is a record that comes in swinging for the bleachers with that, like, um, uh, you know, with, with that just mournful Irish melody. It it has these moments of real sort of um, uh, really poignant moments, like the end of the first track you described, really kind of... Um, uh, and like, yeah, God, like the, the, the thing you sequenced with Boromir, the impenetrable gloom part, it's got really punishing moments, like the deeper, darker waters thing. And if you've got a track called the end of endings, you might think that, and if you've got the last track on a funeral doom record that has been all about slow builds, structural payoffs, and, uh, uh, sort of high drama, you might expect that the last track is going to be the something really big is going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. It, it might be the longest or something, right? It might have uh, a return of the the lyrical theme from the first track. It might have, uh, I, I don't know, you know, chug like skepticism or something. Is something really heavy or epic or devastating is going to happen? And especially, you know, and now that I've read the lyrics, especially with the lyrics like that. Um, however, it it's the shortest track on the record. And, you know, when I get to the end, I'm like, wait, that's the end? Right? It, it just sort of subsides and slips away. Mm-hmm. Um, and... That's what really led me to fix on the more uh, emotive or personal expression of it, side of it. Because it's like, at first I was like, that doesn't make any sense, right? That's just like, that, that, that's just bad. And then I thought, okay, wait, but what's the album? This guy's not bad, right? This is a good band, and this is a good album. And what's the album about, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, sl- Into Darkness Ever More Profound, or, you know, uh, as... The, the the press stuff says uh, exploring a deep fascination with death and all the mysteries associated with it, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I heard it, I thought, oh, wait, that's the whole point is it's the end of a life. Yeah. Right? And, you know, like there's... And I connected that with, um, you know, yeah, you could think of an old person, right, dying in bed, Right, who doesn't necessarily know which is going to be their last word, mm-hmm. or even someone dying in real time at about the speed of this album, right? <laughs> you know, you, you can you can die of a serious injury in about that time or whatever. Maybe you know it's the end, but you don't. You know, you don't quite know when it is. Uh, and um, there's a sort of fading out of energy, and it just kind of slips away. And what I connected it with was like the um you know how like when the when the nurse gives you a a shot like mm-hmm. or takes your blood she'll count you down one two three and she always starts on two mm-hmm. right after it right the point is you brace for the impact and that it's already over yeah uh, and i think it's something like uh I think something similar is going on here with the end of life moment, right? You you 
you don't know exactly what moment it is, what's going to be your last word, and in this context, maybe that's a mercy.
Thank you.